0: All right, so freedom is the point, is what we're going to talk about uh, today. Anybody ever see, there's this really old movie, I saw it as a rerun on on uh, TV called The Poseidon Adventure. Anybody ever see that old movie? Poseidon? Okay, all right, all right, good, good. Some people old enough here to have seen the Poseidon Adventure. So what it's about is about this big, huge cruise liner, right? This cruise ship that gets hit by a rogue wave and it flips upside down. And then you have people who are trying to get out. They're trying to get to freedom. And there's a scene in the movie when you have two groups of people. One is a large group, one is a real small group. And they're coming from opposite directions. They're passing each other in the hallway. And both of them are saying this. They're saying, this is the way to freedom. And the other group is saying, no, this is the way to freedom. And they head in opposite directions. And here's the question to ponder this morning. Could it be possible that the path that you're on, that you think is leading you to freedom, is actually leading you in the wrong direction? Like, is freedom in the opposite direction from where you are headed? Okay, Galatians chapter 5. Freedom is the point. Let's go through these verses. We're just going to read the first six. It's an incredible chapter. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What does that mean? What it's saying is Jesus is saying, hey, look, freedom is what I'm all about. Now, you've probably felt this way just like I felt this way from time to time. Or you've heard somebody say this. Hey, look, you know, I can't really like fully commit my life to Jesus Christ because if I did that, I would lose all my freedom. You know, I got I to keep something for myself. Like I can't go all the way with Jesus because that wouldn't set me free. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, no, 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 no. You can't really be free at all unless you fully commit to Jesus Christ. Because He's saying, freedom is the whole point. That's why I'm here. I came for freedom. I didn't come for bondage. Really? Let's continue on. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised... Christ will be of no value to you at all. What in the world does that mean? First of all, you need to know this. Circumcision here represents religious duty. Circumcision here represents the people that Paul is writing to, saying obedience to the rules and the guidelines in the Bible. That's what it represents. Now, that's very strange, isn't it? He's saying... Jesus is of no value, no power, no advantage to you if you're focused on being obedient. Whoa. (laughs) This does not make sense. Verse 3, again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised, here it comes, that he's obligated to obey the whole law. All the good stuff we read out in the Bible. All that good stuff. You're obligated. And it's of Christ is of no value to you. No advantage to you. Verse 4, you... Who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Verse 5. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith. So it's interesting. Paul's been talking about the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Galatians, but in chapter 5, he really ramps it up. The key verse, the entire book of Galatians, six, six chapters long, is Galatians 5.1 that I just read, where he really focuses on freedom, and he, he really makes a big emphasis on the Holy Spirit, which we will do the same today. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Wow, wait a minute. Whether obedience or disobedience. For in Christ Jesus, neither obedience or disobedience has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Do you realize that the letter to the Galatians is radical? Do you realize that it has been like dynamite throughout church history? Dynamite shaking people up, particularly this letter is written to a church. It's written to Christians. So if we want to say, hey, wait a minute, who, who's, who's the target audience here? The target audience is church folk. People who go to church and it's been rocking their worlds for 2,000 years, big time. Martin Luther in the Great Reformation, a number of years ago, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, rocked his world and it set him free in such a radical way. This book, this dynamite book, so dynamite, that he wrote a commentary on the book of Galatians. What is a commentary? That's deep, scholastic, scholarly stuff. Boring, okay, right? Okay. He wrote this thing. And so 200 years later, a guy named William Holland is listening to Charles Wesley. Anybody know who Charles Wesley is? Anybody in church folk? Church folk, Charles Wesley. If you've ever sung a hymn, you probably sang a Charles Wesley because he wrote like 10,000 hymns, okay? So he really loved to write hymns. He's listening to Charles Wesley read the introduction to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians, and it is so radical. Look what he says. Have you ever experienced anything like this? This is what he experiences from the book of Galatians. William Holland writes in his diary, At the words, what? Have we then nothing to do? No, nothing. But only accept of him who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. There came such a power over me as I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. And when I afterwards went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I trod upon. You ever experience anything like that? That's how radical the book of Galatians is. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You ever experienced anything like that? That's how radical the book of Galatians is. And it's written to churchgoers, to followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just asked exactly what is written in your word, that you would rend the heavens and you would fall down upon us, Holy Spirit, and you would radically set every single one of us free in Jesus' name amen okay you have a fill in the blank if you'd like to follow along it's on your uh, bulletin there and the first point is this and really it's the only point of the entire message to be free we must reach the end to be free we must reach the end you have your chinese finger traps? everybody have the funny i hope everybody got one give you something to do you want to do something really cool after the service is over don't do it now because it'd be too disruptive but after the service borrow some from your neighbors like get five of them and put all five on (laughs) <laughs> yes, just put all five on and see what happens. All right, so here's the thing, the Chinese finger trap, right? Your, your, your finger's in there. Which wh- How do you get free? Which is the way to freedom? Well, naturally you think well, the way to freedom is out, right this way, right, out. But that is not the way to freedom. The freedom, the way to freedom is the opposite. The way to freedom is to go in. It's to press in so that it opens up and then you hold your little thumb there and you get free, you pull out. But here's the thing, is the path to freedom the opposite direction than the path that we're on is it the opposite direction when we think oh okay I know the way to freedom if I just get this if I just go this way if I just am able to do x y or z wham I'm going to get free and what can we learn from the Chinese finger trap that the way to freedom is in the opposite direction we'll come back to the finger trap later for now you can just play with it okay <laughs> something to do so uh, let me explain what's going on in the book of galatians all right so and who it's being written to so like i said it's being written to a church everybody so first of all let's get to ch- so if you're a non-church goer which we are thrilled if you're a non-church goer if you are not a follower of jesus Christ, we are thrilled you're here <laughs> we are, uh, your your presence means a tremendous amount to us so thank you for peeking over the fence of what this is all about now we're gonna we're gonna do a message because this is what this message is about it's to christians all right ready church folk this is to you. This is rocks your world. It doesn't rock a non-Christian's world. They just stand back and watch it rock us. And they say, Ooh, what's that all about? Follow me? Okay, here we go. So what's being said here? Galatians is written to church people who at one point in their life were morally liberal, morally excessively liberal. Whatever makes you feel good, do it. If it works for you, oh my gosh, man, go for it all day long. Have at it, right? It's working for you. And more illib- liberal people would say, hey, don't you dare, don't, don't you dare judge me, don't you bring your morals down on me. These were people who seriously valued being morally liberal, okay? That's who they were. Now something happened. Uh, Paul preached Jesus Christ to them, they accepted Christ as Savior, and this radical thing began to happen in their lives. And over a period of time, over a period of years, they began to become, watch this, watch this, morally conservative Morally conservative. So they had made an idol out of individual freedom. And now Paul's, Paul says in verse number one here, he says, You're slipping into bondage because you've made an idol out of biblical obedience. Whoa. And he says, That's no way to get set free. It's like C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity Becoming nice, becoming virtuous is the enemy, the biggest enemy to becoming a new creation. In Jesus Christ. Fill this one in here. Moral reformation is not nearly the same as spiritual transformation. Moral reformation is not nearly the same as spiritual transformation. Anybody know what the second commandment is in Exodus chapter 20 of the Big Ten Commandments? You shall not... Idols. Make no idols. You think, oh, that's not really relevant to us today, is it? Like, we don't make idols, right? We're not like making golden calves and bowing down and worshiping them, we don't have idols, American idol, we don't have idols, right, idols, we don't have, I mean we idolize, I mean that's, our economy in large part runs on idols, doesn't it, we idolize stuff, we go after, we think, you know, if I can just get this thing, if I can just get this idol, man, I'm going to feel great, it's going to make me free, I'm going to be happy, I'm going to really live if I just get these idols. Moral reformation is not nearly the same thing as spiritual transformation. Paul says you started out in the spirit and you've given it up for Bible-believing behavior when you should really be focused on Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you a story about a friend of mine. This happened many, many years ago. Uh, My buddy, his parents were hippies. Anybody know what a hippie is? Anybody old enough to remember the hippies? Peace. Peace, baby. Tie-dye everywhere, right? So he had really long hair. He never wore shoes. He was like Steve Jobs. He never wore shoes anywhere, barefoot all the time. Everything was peace and love. They every, let everybody do whatever they want to do. Individual freedom is what his parents valued, is what, and it's, it's what he, he valued, right? So he spent, you know, much of his time getting high, watching porn, right? He's happy. He's just very happy. And then one day he walked into church. I don't know Why? He found his way into church. But he did. And he heard the story of Jesus Christ. And it like deeply resonated with him. And he was radically changed. Radically changed. Man, he was just so free. It was awesome. He couldn't, he couldn't smile enough. Fast forward four years later. Fast forward four years after that. I see him. No, no ponytail anymore. It's like hair's all cut, cropped and all. He's got a, he's got a shirt. He's got a tie on. Right? He's wearing shoes. You know, he's got his act. It's like it's, it's, it's all cleaned up. And he told me, he told me one day, I'll never forget this, he says, John, I'm listening to Rush Limbaugh and I'm agreeing with everything he says. <laughs> I was like, man, that's the story of the Galatians, man. Morally liberal, morally conservative. But then he says to me, he says, John, I've lost my freedom. Isn't that the normal path? Right? So radically... Save, start cleaning our act up, start becoming Bible believers. And Paul's saying, you know what? Something's wrong here. He's losing his freedom. That's not the point. The point isn't to lose our freedom. Idols will make us lose our freedom. How are we set free, everybody, in the scripture? Is it because we obey everything in the Bible or are we new creations because we are in Christ, not in obedience? In Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new Creation. Only Jesus Christ sets us free. And what we find is, is we as human, as our human condition is, we are idol making factories. We make idols out of good stuff. We make idols out of Bible believing stuff. We make idols out of bad stuff. Whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly, we make idols, and the idols get in the way of our true freedom because only Jesus Christ can set us free. Nothing good, nothing bad. Only Jesus Christ can set us free, and that's so hard for us as people. So how are we going to find this true freedom? We find it through Jesus Christ. So Paul was dealing with here in Galatians 5, and you see later on, if you read the whole chapter, you see the old boy gets quite agitated in verse number 12, don't you? He gets agitated just like Jesus because, because there's people saying, hey, no, 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 no Paul. No, Paul, 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 whoa, 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 man. We're all, about, we're all about the grace and love thing, but we need to focus more on the sin thing. We need to focus more on the obedience thing. We need, to, we need to balance this out. And he just says to them, why don't you guys go and emasculate yourself, right? So that's how I feel about that. Here's the thing. If we focus on Jesus Christ and obedience to him and everything else dies... The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of that story, so radically transforms our lives. That's what William Holland was saying. William Holland, who was a virtuous, virtuous person, a virtuous man, said all of his burdens fell off. And he could barely feel the ground upon which he trod. Look, Tim Keller does a much better job. He's a pastor in New York City of explaining this. Okay, this is what he says. The gospel, which is the story of Jesus Christ, his, his behavior, not my behavior. That's what the gospel is about. It says, the gospel devours the very motivation you have for sin. Have you ever felt that? <laughs> Where you no longer feel obligated? I mean yeah, You have this just motivation. I'm not obligated. I just want to change my life. I don't feel like I have to. The gospel devours the very motivation you have for sin. It completely saps your very need and reason to live any way you want. Anyone who insists that the gospel encourages us to sin has simply not understood it yet nor begun to feel its power have you begun to feel that power have you begun to sense that power at work in you here's what i want to say to you the holy spirit changes everything I said this earlier, this is where Paul gets into the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, everybody, changes absolutely everything. We're told in the Bible that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How are we going to get free? We're going to get free by doing certain things in our life, by being good stuff and all that. No, 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 we're going to get free because of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he begins his ministry, Luke chapter 4, he stands up in the synagogue at Nazareth and he reads from Isaiah the prophet. He says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is upon me because I have come, right, to do what? To set Captives free. The Holy Spirit is all about freedom, and when the Holy Spirit comes, everything changes. I just think about it. One last point, and we're going to get into something solution-oriented here on being set free. You think about the resurrection—powerful, world-changing event, wasn't it? And, I know, and anyway, don't misunderstand me. I'm not diminishing the resurrection. All right, but what was it? What was it that totally transformed the disciples? Many of them say, well, it was the resurrection. They saw Jesus resurrected and all of a sudden became bold believers and they're out in Jerusalem and they're like, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. But that's not what happened, is it? That's not what happened. 50 days passed after the resurrection before they ran into the streets of Jerusalem saying, Jesus is the way. We're bold believers. We're free. We're out of bondage. We just want to boldly tell you. For 50 of those days, they were confused cowards after the resurrection We see the disciples going back to the Sea of Galilee a couple days walk back to the Sea of Galilee. And what do they do? They return to the fishing nets. It's only after the Holy Spirit falls. It's only after the Holy Spirit falls that their lives are radically changed, that they're radically set free. And what I want to say this morning is, is when the Holy Spirit falls upon our lives, it's when we get to experience true, true freedom. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, often wondered how in the world do you get to this place? Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Well, how do you do that? I mean, come on. Let's get serious. All right. Oh, I'm going to lose my life. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit leads us there. The Holy Spirit leads us there because we want to be led there. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. How do you get yourself crucified with Christ? Like you call a bunch of your friends up and say, hey, could you meet me in my backyard today? I'd like to get crucified with Christ. (laughs) Let's just end, let's just, let's get, let's get to the living part, the freedom part right now. I've got a cross, let's nail me up there, right? How does that happen? The Holy Spirit takes you to that, to that place. All right, I'm getting ready to ask you to do something and you're not going to want to do it. I know this. I know you're not going to want to do it because I don't want to do it. There's something inside of me that says, I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? Are you insane? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And so in order to help you feel motivated, excited about doing this thing that is so radical and will lead you to radical freedom, right, to lead you to the place like where William Holland was, where you're sensing and experiencing the work of God and you're like, oh man, I'm alive. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm not here just because this is what I do on Sundays. Like I am totally alive. I want to give you some information to explain this that maybe you'll like, "Ah, yes. I'm going to do this." So that's that's the road we're going down. This thing I'm going to talk about has to be of a high value, of great importance and of great passion on your part. So, okay? So you're prepared. Here we go. This is why I'm going to in a minute you're going to say, "Why in the world are you talking about this?" Okay, I'll explain in a second. Let's look at the quote. Okay. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the opium of the people. Who said that? Karl Marx. Marx. Was Karl Marx right? Religious movements. Religious movements, everybody, right? They were started by poor people. Religious movements were started by oppressed people. This is what Marx is saying. They were started by oppressed people, and anyway, it makes sense, right? If you're underprivileged, if you're not privileged, if you're the poor, you're not the privileged. What else are you gonna hope in? So you invent. In our case, let us say, you invent Jesus Christ right who who's going to bring us hope you invent jesus christ i got an else to hope in so i might as well invent a god who loves me came and walked amongst me and, and, and extends grace to me and says i love you just like you are and a hope of salvation this is what marx is basically saying we could go on forever about the implications of what marx said but it's a powerful statement if it was only true and it's completely untrue Not just with Christianity, but all around the globe, it's completely untrue. Do You all realize, don't you, that religious movements don't start with the poor. They start with the privileged. You know that because you all are smart Arlingtonians. That's completely wrong. It starts with privileged people, not the poor people. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about him for just a second. All right, listen. You all know the wise men, right? Came and visited Jesus, baby Jesus. Back in Bethlehem. Did it it ever strike you as funny? Um, Whether you're a church person or not church person, you hear about the wise men visiting, they're bringing the three gifts. What are the three gifts? I couldn't really understand what you said, but... uh, (laughs) gold frankincense and myrrh right so here's what i've been told all my life about gold frankincense and myrrh fabulously expensive gifts gold well we got that but the frankincense and the myrrh were also very very expensive gifts very 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 expensive gifts but jesus was a poor peasant jesus was a poor peasant and his followers were all poor peasants did it ever strike you as funny all right what did mary and joseph do with all that money like Did they stop at Atlantic City on the way down to Egypt and, and like, blow it all? Did they fly first class down to Egypt and blow it all? How did they get to be such poor peasants? How would that happen? Right? Because Jesus is a poor peasant. Well, something is a little strange to us because we're told in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus and his family every single year went to Jerusalem for the great feast. Do you realize something? Only rich people did that. Only rich people did that. Poor people couldn't afford to do that. Poor people at their very best could go once in their entire lifetime. Isn't that strange? Now, Jesus was a poor carpenter, right? That's what he did. I mean, he didn't spend his time studying or anything like that. What he did is he just built stuff till he was 30 years old. Isn't it strange that he only told three stories and all of his stories that he told about building? Isn't that strange? And his audience, right, was all poor. But isn't it really strange that he talked about land ownership, something poor people knew nothing about? He talked about investing He talked about having servants, having tenants. He talked about inheriting things. He talked about banking practices. His disciples were all poor, except for Matthew, who was incredibly rich because he was a tax collector, and except for James and John, who ran a fishing enterprise and had their own hired servants, and probably except for Peter, who seemed to be running a little fishing industry of his own, and some scholars think they actually owned a couple houses around the Sea of Galilee. How about Paul? who we're talking about here, right, he was poor or was he privileged? Well, the old boy got two PhDs by the time he's 21 is what we're understanding him. So somebody was paying for a very expensive education somewhere, right? And how about all of his followers? Somebody counted up that 42 people that were main followers that were named in Paul and his letters were all people of privilege, and they weren't poor. How about the Roman Empire? Second, third, and fourth century Roman Empire. We see a much higher... Do You know there's only a sliver of privileged people back in those days, right? (laughs) There's no middle class, right? So only a just a little tiny sliver. Why is it that when we dig up Rome today that we find a higher percentage of privileged people who... Were Christians. One last, can I give you one last one? I know you're fascinated. You're on the edge of your seat. (laughs) This all means something, so hang with me. This actually means something extremely important to you. So soak it in. Martin Luther, the Great Reformation, was he poor? Come on, you know that. He wasn't poor. Martin Luther, the great reformist, was privileged. He's a privileged lawyer. Everybody knows lawyers are making all the money in this country, right? He's a privileged lawyer. Who opposed the Reformation? The poor opposed it. Who supported the Reformation? Princes and professors. Princes and professors. William Holland, I quote a few minutes ago, was he poor or privileged? He was privileged. Why have I just told you all of this fascinating information and what does this have to do with freedom? Historically speaking, everybody, it is the privileged who have taken possession of most, or in some cases, all of their idols and realized that their idols could not set them free. Tom Brady, who plays for a team that nobody likes, (laughs) right? A few years back, he did an interview on 60 Minutes. He was 30 years old at the time. He had won three Super Bowls already. He was at the top of his game, okay? Super popular, super rich, three Super Bowls and fellas, married to a supermodel. He had received all of his idols. And he says, quote, ready? It's on the screen. Look at it. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? Now, you're sitting here this morning. I'm getting ready to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something really, really important. I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to passionately say to the Holy Spirit, take me to the death of all my idols. Take me to the end of myself. And you're going to say, "Amen." Hey, man, there is no way, John, I'm going to pray that. And I'm going to tell you, do you think that somehow you're an exceptional person? Do you think somehow, okay, I know Tom Brady's married to a supermodel and has three Super Bowl rings and didn't work for him, but I, I swear, John, it will work for me. <laughs> it's going to work for me. May it didn't work for him, it's going to work for me. Really? Do you think that highly of yourself? Religious movements, the power of the Spirit mainly begins with the people of privilege who have received their idols and realized i'm still empty i'm still in bondage i want to be set free why would you hesitate in asking the holy spirit to fall on you this morning and to lead you to the graveyard of all of your idols where everything else can die why would you hesitate to do that You're like oh man I, I god's going to take everything from me that's an irrational thought I just told you it's the privilege who get everything they want to realize their only freedom is found in Jesus Christ. So why would you hesitate? Guys, you might walk in next week with a supermodel on your arm. Why would you hesitate to do it? Our parking lot's going to be filled with Mercedes and Porsches next week if you'll pray this. <laughs> Nothing good or bad. A new house, a new spouse, A new raise, nothing, nothing, nothing can bring freedom to you. Wrap your brain around that. That's what Paul is saying. And the thing we should do is say, Holy Spirit, guide me. Guide me to the death, the end of myself, where there's only Christ. And take me there over and over and over again. Freedom is not based on false hope. If you want to fill that one in, it's not based on false hope. It's not based on a group of people who are just starving for hope. And so they concocted this thing. Called Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to come back to this theme. The Holy Spirit changes everything, everybody. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Take special note of that. Walk by the Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit walking you to? Don't you want to ask that? Like, okay, Paul, walk by the Spirit. Okay, where's the Holy Spirit? Walking me to. The Holy Spirit, everybody, is walking you to a graveyard. The Holy Spirit is walking you to the end of yourself. The Holy Spirit is walking you to the place, and only the Holy Spirit can take you there. Only your, your human effort. Oh, God, help me to lose my life in you. Now, it's not going to work. You have to come to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, our guide, our counselor, who leads us in the path. By his power and he takes us to the place where we lose our life in Christ and we stand in that graveyard and we realize it's all, all, all and only the Holy Spirit can take you there. You can't take yourself there by your own wits. You must passionately become for the Holy Spirit and say, walk me there where all of my idols are crucified and where I lose my life so Jesus Christ can live. And we come before. This happened just one time. It doesn't happen twice. It happens over and over and over and over again because we're idol-making factories. That's what it is ezekiel chapter 37 is a really uh, important chapter in all the bible okay and in this chapter if you if you have the bible that has like little things up top where it tells you here's what's getting ready to go on in, in this chapter in the bible this is what it says it says the valley of dry bones that just that gets you excited already and here's here's what it says here's here's the, what the holy spirit does here's what the holy spirit does so the holy spirit comes to the prophet ezekiel comes to the prophet ezekiel and says come with me ezekiel and the holy spirit takes ezekiel to a graveyard takes them to death takes them to the end and then it says the Holy Spirit walks them all over this vast graveyard that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you and me because that's the only way we're going to live and and, and the Holy Spirit says can these bones live and he's like I have no idea and God says it's out of this death that true life real life it's where all of your idols come to an end it's where you've reached the end of yourself and there's only Jesus Christ there only then can you receive freedom and only the Holy Spirit can take us there we can't get there by ourselves right there's no other GPS the Holy Spirit is your GPS to that graveyard where real life happens now I want to ask you a question okay does that sound crazy it's right, you can shake your head man that sounds crazy John Ain't no way I'm praying that I mean I hear you saying this but they're just words does it sound crazy that we would do that I want to suggest this to you every single one of you listen listen this place of death is the most coveted thing in the world. People long for this feeling, this experience to get to a place of death where this person brings life. I'm going to prove it to you. All around this globe, we hunger and thirst for this experience, okay? Now, I'm going to play a song and I want you to sing it out loud if you know it, okay? Here we go, Ben, let's do it. Give, give, give me, give me, give me the juice, Ben, and then y'all sing it like you mean it. Yeah, if you're sitting next to your spouse, there, there you go. Thank you, thank you. That man's in love. That man's in love. Every other husband got shown up in this room. Okay, there you go. Uh, I can't live. The first service sang it. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, man, we're going to take a collection and get you some singing lessons, that's all right. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I like the passion. I love the passion. Look, isn't that what we covered all around the world? Baby, I can't live without you. I like, I did not live. I have not started living until I met you. Everything else, since I've met you, everything else has died. We're like, oh, yes. I long for that feeling. Is this so crazy? Is it really so crazy? Is it really so crazy or do we actually long to get to a place where we meet somebody? It's like everything else dies in me. When I first met my wife, oh my gosh, oh man, it rocked my world. Like, oh yes, Krista, Krista, I would like to live the rest of my life in the corner of a room just to be in your presence. Where have you been all my life? I have not lived until today. Today life has begun and everything else has died. She used to wear this perfume called Opium Perfume, and she would walk in the room, I just, <laughs> woo, man, that was awesome, man, I just, mmm, it's awesome, do you know what I'm saying? Is this really that crazy, or do we long for this, do we long for this, do we long, here's the thing, you know, it's great when we meet somebody like that, and the chemistry works, and it's awesome, and we're like, man, I'm dead to everything else, just me and you. That's great, but it is Temporary. I'm talking to you about Jesus Christ, where you can experience eternal life and eternal freedom and eternal joy in a powerful way. But you got to get to the place where you say, Holy Spirit, lead me to the place of death. Lead me to the place to the end of myself. And that's where the good stuff starts to happen, because the Holy Spirit always wants to take us to a graveyard. Listen, here's the more. I'm almost done. We supply the thirst and the Holy Spirit supplies the power. Notice. We supply the thirst, and the Holy Spirit supplies the power. What does Jesus say in John chapter seven? "All who are thirsty, come to me, and rivers of living water are going to flow out of you. So what do we do? What's our part of the equation? Thirst. Are you thirsty? Are you pa- like, "Oh yes, Holy Spirit, come on down this morning and take me to the graveyard." Are you like, uh, Holy Spirit, you know if you're not busy, maybe you want to stop by and take me a few steps towards the graveyard? Or are you like, "No!" how thirsty are you? We supply the thirst and the Holy Spirit supplies the power. All right. So I haven't spoken in three months and I need to give you some updates about, uh, that dumb dog of ours. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, the, the dog, not my dog. I don't like the dog. I actually don't like the dog, but anyway, that's my wife's dog. But, uh, the dog is a celebrity in our home. like, Like it's too much. You know what I'm saying? It's too much. The dog is this huge celebrity in our house. And so sometimes I'll get these calls from my wife, Krista, or a text like, you got to get home. you got to take care of the dog. Like the dog's dying. It's got to go to the bathroom. It's just going to fly out of the house the moment you open the door. The dog's thirsty. It's dying. It's thirsty. It's got to eat. John, if you don't get home right now, I'm calling 911. Right, that's how important it is. You got to take care of this dog. And so I'll come breaking speed limits, trying to get to that. I go put in the house, open the door. I come in. I'm thinking that the dog's going to be standing there, just ready to dive outside real quick because it's got to go to the bathroom so bad, or it needs water, whatever it needs. I open the door. Dog's nobody found. And I open, and and there's the dog, just just laying out, sprawled out on the couch, not a care in the world. I like butterscotch. Come, and she'll just like. Aren't you thirsty? (laughs) There's no thirst whatsoever. I came home one day, I came home one day, and that dumb dog was on top of our bed, sleeping on my pillow. On my (laughs) pillow, yes. Yes. Now listen. Come on. Come on. You you know somebody snuck her in that bed at some point against every rule in the house, right? And that's why she got. She's sleeping on my pillow, and I I am so OCD germaphobic. Do you realize how bad that is for me? And you might as well take my pillow and soak it in the Potomac River overnight, right? <laughs> this, this is this is the most disgusting thing. And so when I saw that, I freaked. I got to tell you right now, I just freaked. I just screamed at her, and she is such a nervous dog. She didn't even move a muscle. She just sat there and looked at me. You know why? You know why? She's a protected dog. You know how the mafia, they have their made people? That dog is a made dog, right? And my wife is the mafia leader in our house. She knows if I touch that dog, I'm in huge trouble. Thirst, thirst, thirst. I can tell you all about this. You can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Every single one of us, Jesus Christ says, don't be like my dumb dog, right? He says, thirst. Be passionate about this. Because this is super, super important. All who are thirsty, come to me. All right, I'm going to close by telling you this really short but extremely important story that's in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. Jacob. Jacob, Laban, who is the father of Rachel and Leah. Rachel is a supermodel. Hey, remember Tom Brady. Rachel Rachel is a supermodel and Leah is not. Okay, And so... Jacob meets Rachel one day and he's like, whoa, he's just blown away. Says, she is it, man. She's a supermodel knockout. I've got to have her and goes to Laban the father and says, listen, listen. To this. He says, I will work seven years just to get her hand in marriage. Now, if you're wondering, is that normal? Not normal, not normal. It's excessive. It's overly excessive. Nobody does anything like that. I'll work seven years to get her hand in marriage. And then it says this. Check this out, ladies. He says seven years is like a day because he was so raptured by her he was just so enthralled with her so the wedding day comes and uh, just maybe a word to the wise Jacob I guess gets so liquored up <laughs> that he doesn't even know what's going on and father Laban doesn't give him supermodel Rachel he slips in older sister Leah who was not coveted and then we're told simply this it says in the scripture it says and the next morning Jacob woke up and it, then it says and there was Leah Ha, 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 there was Leah. Now, you read the Bible and you're saying, what, what am I supposed to learn from a story like that? <laughs> what am, I, who, am I supposed to be like Laban or Jacob or Leah? Which one am I supposed to be? Everybody, I'm going to tell you something really important. I'll keep saying this over and over again. The Bible is not random stories that you're looking for a moral hero. The Bible is one story telling us one thing. And what's the one thing saying? That you can't make an idol out of anything, that Jesus Christ is the way. And So what's the, what's the deal? Whatever idol you're after, whatever idol you think you got to get that raise, you think you've got to get that, uh, that job, you think you got to get a house, you think you got to get a spouse, here's what I'm here to tell you. It's always Leah. Listen to me. It's always Leah. That's what the Bible's shouting at us. You think that by getting that thing, you're going to be free and live. And what the Bible says is it's always Leah. Your idols always leave you empty. That's what Tom Brady is shouting to us. They leave us empty, and we can only find life in Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray here, and we're going to allow for just a few moments of space. And I'm going to encourage you to do one thing. I'm going to encourage you, if you really want to be free, if you really want to live, if you want to be like William Holland, that you're walking and you can barely feel the ground that you're walking on because the power of the Holy Spirit so fills your life with freedom that you're blown away, that you passionately and very thirstily say to the Holy Spirit, take me to the end of myself, walk me all around the graveyard of my idols, and let the only thing be left standing is Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ alone can set me free. You want to be free? You want to live. You're tired of going through the motions. This is where life happens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask exactly what your scripture says, that you would rend the heavens and that you, Holy Spirit, would fall upon each one of us and that you would take us to the end of ourselves. Let's just take a few moments in quiet and just ask the Holy Spirit to deal with each one of us in the way that the Holy Spirit wants to. I'm going to conclude in prayer here and then I'm going to say amen. I just want to say that anytime, including right now, our prayer team is going to be against the uh, far wall to your right and uh, they'd be happy to pray with you about this all-important thing. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have a true hope for freedom. It's not a false hope. I thank you that God, for those of us who are tired with just living life, going through the motions... Wondering if we can ever get to the place where we experience true, powerful freedom. The God that you say we can. For many of us, the direction of our freedom is in the opposite direction of which we were headed. But Holy Spirit, you can take us down the path to true freedom. So come, Holy Spirit. Lead us to the graveyard of all of our idols and let us experience the power of true freedom. Freedom and Jesus Christ our savior. Thank you, Lord. In your awesome name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9:30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.